All right, HCC, how are you doing today? So good to see you. It's a little blustery out there. So glad that you made your way to be here in the auditorium. For those that are joining us online, a big welcome to you as well. Can we thank the worship team? That is such a great job. Just love weekend, week out. Man, their goal is to help you be able to see, be able to focus better on who Jesus is. That's the, what they're all about. I know their hearts and I love what they do. Love their energy. It was just a great time. And can I just tell you a little bit surreal for Pastor Tom hosting tonight. And I just got to tell you, I just love that man. I'm so grateful for his continued role in my life. So grateful for his attitude to say, where do you need me? And today it was hosting the Victorville service. And I'm just grateful for his ability to do that. I'm excited his ministry going on with the Oikos movement is ramping up. There's actually an event this week that we'll get to participate in, Pastor George and myself, and just to see what God's doing and how he's working in churches and with pastors. And I'm excited what we're gonna be able to share more coming out of that and other events like it. So grateful to be with you. Grateful to be, we're in the second week of a new series on this idea of called Mending Fences. And you saw in the video that what we're looking at, what we're kind of going after is this idea that we believe that God has a plan, even for people who right now, maybe before walked with him and don't any longer, we believe he loves prodigals. We believe he loves lost sheep. And what we're also wanting to do and not only be having a heart that's kind of maybe more kind of aligned and more thoughtful of those people in our lives who that's true of them today, is we wanna be built up and fortified in our own faith that when there might be temptation to walk away from the Lord, we would actually be able to say, no, 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 but I, I wanna remember this. I wanna be thoughtful of that because I know this is where I wanna be. So this series we've been working on for months, we're so excited to get into it on week two. If you have a Bible, if you'd make your way to Luke chapter 15, we'll be there in just a minute, Luke 15, and then we'll dive in. This has been a big deal for us at High Desert Church this month in January, really focusing on the sanctity of life, the, the inherent value of human life. I was telling our teaching team this week that one of the things I love is that also here we are on Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. And I love that these two things are going on, a remembrance of him, his ministry, his desire to help bring a value of life to people out of the womb and a focus this month of January to value life in it. And I think those things pair so well together. And I love that this weekend is just this extra abundance of thoughtfulness. Every single human being that you see, that you interact with, is an image bearer of God, valuable to him, and then as a result, ought to be valuable to you. Now, it's just something I love when we were talking about this weekend and what we get to look at. I got my, my juices flowing. Well, a couple things. Um, I realized last week as we were diving in that I was all gung-ho about a few things. I realized that Todd did not do his homework on a couple things. Let me share with you what those are. First off, take a look at the screen. Last week I had said, hey, one of the things we want you to know is we want you to know what we believe. And you can look at our kind of creedal statement, our, our beliefs that are located on our website. And I told everyone, hey, just go to the search uh, icon on our website and type that in what we believe and it'll take you right there. Which would be so awesome if our website had a search icon. 
It'd be perfect. It was incredible advice. And I think I realized in services last weekend, I was thinking, well, how did I get there to that page? And what it is, that image is if you just keep scrolling down our front page of our website, you will get to that picture right in the middle, beliefs. Click on that and you'll read everything I said. Sorry, I need to be a little bit better at the coaching I give that I actually know what I'm talking about. It was great in the teaching team. They said, Todd, you told people we don't have one of those. I thought, ugh. Come on, you know. The other thing is that we wanted to provide, if you look in your notes today, that when we're, we're gonna, we said this series is gonna be very resource rich. And so when I mention a podcast or I mention a book today, you don't have to hop out that phone and try to get that picture before the image goes down. Look at the very end of your notes and you'll see suggested resources and we've got them both there. So I just want you to know, now moving forward in this series, we'll do that. Very easy to find those, just Google either of those and I'll tell you more about them in just a minute and then we'll dive in. So here we are, week two, last week, if you were here or if you weren't, I'll catch you up real quick. We're we're taking this tact of talking about us as the people of God, as the sheep in God's flock. Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. 23rd Psalm. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. This good shepherd, Jesus says, I am who David told you about. And let me tell you how I care for, how I lead, how I protect my sheep. And so we, we dove into that concept a little bit and, and hence we saw this idea of mending fences. We usually think of mending fences like relationships. I need to, to reach out and try to do something if there's a, a rift there. Or also literally I need to mend the fence so sheep don't keep going out. And that's kind of what this series is really all about and what we're diving into week over week. And as we talked last weekend about identifying that concept and trying to get the motif right now as we kind of take week after week. Now we're gonna look at this, this really the, the heartbeat. It really is the next layer on the foundation. If many here, many watching online would say, man, I read the 23rd Psalm and I resonate. I want to be that shepherd's sheep. We read Jesus in John 10 of him being the gate, the good shepherd, and we go, I want to be in his flock. What happened to people who once thought the same thing, but now have rejected their faith and are walking in unbelief? That when they heard the words of the 23rd Psalm, it resonated within them. When they studied or heard John chapter 10 preach, they thought, man, I'm so glad I'm under that shepherd's care. Only now, with whatever's transpired in between, to go, I want nothing of it. I don't want to be in the flock. What happened? What we're going to look at today is we're going to uncover four of the most common reasons why people do walk away from their faith. And our goal is going to be twofold. We want to understand the people in our lives. They don't fit a cookie cutter. Everyone's story is individual and often the reasons are complex, but we want to better understand maybe what's going on. And we also want to begin to understand, God, help me. Protect me. Mend that fence in my life that I don't be tempted to walk away from you. That's where we're going. Let's dive in in your notes, number one today. Doubt is often significant for both faith and unbelief. Doubt is often significant for both faith 
and unbelief. I ask you to turn your Bibles to Luke 15. Hold your finger there, but look up on the screen. I want you to take you first to Mark chapter nine. This is a narrative with Jesus, verse 21, and a father, by the way, of a son who's very, uh, having a very difficult time. 921, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? This is a young man who has literally been thrown into fires. This is a young man who is plagued by a demon. From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And we're only coming at this narrative in a very narrow way, but I wanna keep drawing your attention to that last line. I do believe, but Jesus, help me with my unbelief. I think this posture is the first thing we wanna talk about as it comes to doubt and begin to drill down a little bit. And I wanna say from the beginning, we'll define the term in a minute, but this idea of doubt often is seen as a kind of a dirty word in Christian circles. Like, oh, wait, you're not doubting your faith, are you? Oh, 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 you're, you're not doubting what the Bible says about that, are you? And, and as though the question is asked that way, you quickly, if you are, you quickly wanna backpedal and go, oh, no, no, not me. I'm, I'm right on. And your heart of heart going, no, but I sure am. And I have heard so many stories of people who feel like they have questions about their faith but cannot ask them for fear of being labeled, for fear of being rejected, for fear of being cast out. And this first concept of doubt we wanna look at with some clarity today. And I want you to see even in this father what I love about his attitude is he's saying, Jesus, help me. I don't have all the faith necessary for what's going on. Jesus, I don't know if you know the context here. My son has been plagued for years. Are you thinking this is the first thing we've tried? I've tried it all. This is a Jewish man and he'd taken his son, I'm sure, to the priests and other Levitical people to try to get something to happen, prayed for healing, tried probably even some crazy potions, anything to get his son healed and nothing had worked. Jesus, I wanna believe, it's just nothing else has gotten us there. I don't know if this is gonna be any different. Help my unbelief. And it's the honesty of the father that on the one hand I so appreciate. And the interesting question is, is did the man have faith? He said as much, I do believe. Did the man have enough faith for the situation he was facing, staring at with his son being afflicted? No. But watch this. He could admit it and he asked for more. He went to the source of what strengthens, what bolsters our faith, talking to Jesus, please help my unbelief. I acknowledge it, I know it's not where it needs to be, but Jesus, I know you can do something about that. And that might be the most important part of this part of our conversation today, is that the man wanted faith. He wanted to believe, even though in the moment he didn't. It's gonna be significant as we talk about this subject. 
of doubt. See, the reality is, is that as you process your own journey just for a little bit, you're gonna start to realize that if you're here today and you have placed your faith in Christ and you're walking with him, you would say, you know what? I have had moments where I have wondered, what is God doing? I have had moments where I've wondered, does he even listen? I've been praying about this for weeks, for months, for years. Yeah, I've had moments where I've wondered, God, I don't know what your people are doing. This is craziness. And those doubts have been there, but here's what's happened in that process. Those doubts didn't just sit there and begin to take root. Those doubts caused you to say, I want to understand. I, I want to get into my Bible and I want to read. What does God's word say about this? I want to go talk to other Christians that I trust and I want to ask them, what would you say? Help me understand. I want to listen to, to other pastors. I want to listen to podcasts. I want to read books and I want to understand better so my faith can be grown. And you would say that, that doubt has been the catalyst for growth. But can I say the same thing? Almost every single person I have talked to personally who has walked away from their faith would tell me that most often the headwaters of their unbelief was doubt. Doubt that either wasn't addressed or doubt that in a weird way they didn't want addressed but wanted to actually go on a course to disprove what they had known all their lives. So doubt is powerful. It's rarely something in the middle, it's powerful. It either draws us to a deepened faith or it draws us to unbelief. And therefore we have to talk about it in a thoughtful way and we have to look at it through a biblical grid. We'll see what's key to our, the doubt that we're talking about is the degree to which you say like the father said, please help my unbelief. It's the posture that wants to grow, wants to deepen faith versus the posture that might be saying, I'm looking for a way to disprove what I've been walking in for so long. I want out and doubt is gonna be the way to help me. When we talk about doubt in a biblical context, we have to be careful too because the words in our New Testament that are often translated as doubt are often translated a lot of other ways as, as well, additionally. And, and it's all context, right? Like anything we do with Bible translation, it's all related to the context that helps us determine what it is that we should understand. Most widely word used in the New Testament translated as doubt is translated in these other ways. This is what it primarily means if you define the word. It means judging back and forth which can either positively, positively refer to close examination or negatively to overjudging. So this word is, is neither a positive or a negative word, it's a neutral word, but it can be used in a context that's positive. Like I'm gonna give examination to this thing that I'm staring at versus I'm just gonna be so wishy-washy about something or I'm even gonna drive into this area of unbelief based on something that I see or the way that I'm judging it. Look in your notes. A wide range of meanings for the word most commonly translated as doubt in the New Testament demonstrates that biblically doubt can take many forms. In your notes, it could be focused evaluation, focused evaluation, looking for resolve and understanding. That's one way that biblically doubt can be understood. 
Another way, it could mean a lingering confusion about something that doesn't motivate one to intently search for answers. Just questions that you sit with that you're not motivated to actually find out what does this mean or what, what is the answer to this problem? Or thirdly, it could mean a scrutiny that desires to disprove something. Just like our English use of the word, I doubt it. I'm already weighed in that direction of unbelief, of disbelief. I doubt that's true. You're gonna have to prove it to me. So this word doubt is really important in that in our English Bibles, doubt might show up many ways, but we have to understand contextually it really demonstrates something powerfully. Another word that's translated in our New Testaments only occasionally for the word doubt is fascinating because it's more winful, and I would say to you even sinful, due to the heart attitude at play. It'd be defined as an uncertainty at a crossroad because refusing to choose one way over the other. So imagine that image, you're standing at a fork in the road and you actually have a refusal of choosing one or the other and you stand square, refusing to go either direction. And one might say, oh, that's someone who's in doubt, that's someone who's refusing to make a decision. I'm gonna say that's someone who's making a choice not to make a decision. And this is a powerful word. I found some quotes from some Christian authors and thinkers that I think will help us trying to understand the nature of doubt. Look at this first one related to what doubt is related to belief and unbelief. Doubt comes from a word meaning to, T-W-O. To believe is to be in one mind about accepting something as true. To disbelieve is equally to be in one mind about rejecting it. To doubt is to waver between the two, so to believe and to disbelieve at once so as to be in two minds. Again, not saying that doubting is sinful and wrong, just saying that's the nature of what doubt is. It is in between two things, not fully able to commit to belief or unbelief. That's from Oz Guinness. Another from Lee Strobel, when we keep our doubts suppressed, this is a powerful quote, when we keep our doubts suppressed inside, we unwittingly give them more and more power over us. On the other hand, when we finally let them emerge and face them squarely, it's amazing how often their potency disappears. And by the way, Strobel's own story, if you don't know it, he's all this great stuff related to understanding biblical truth and apologetics, incredible author, incredible speaker. His own story went from trying to disbelieve to to prove untrue the Bible only to lead him to faith. So he's a guy I trust a lot related to the nature and the value of doubt. And finally, Mark Littleton, though doubt, through doubt, I'm sorry, we can learn more than through naive trust. Truth can be tested. Doubt is the fire through which it passes, but when it has been tried, it will come forth as gold. I love these quotes. I came upon them in an article from um, Lee Strobel, just about the nature of doubt. And we have to be careful on the one hand, not to just assume all doubt is bad. It can be catalytic for powerful things, but to also not be okay with living and, and letting doubt take root in our lives. I told you we were gonna mention a lot of resources. Here's a podcast I really believe if you are in this place or you know someone who would be, it's called Questioning Christianity by pastor and author Tim Keller. 
It's on the back of your resource sheet, like I said before. And what Tim does, he takes on seven subjects, one week sharing about it, and the week following in the podcast or the next episode, having a live Q&A on that topic. And all these topics are huge, just issues. And his whole point is, I care about people who have doubts about Christianity, let's talk. And I think you'll be really encouraged if you begin to give that a listen. Scripturally, we want to be people, and this is one of the things that I say to people, but can I be real honest? I usually say it in this format. I don't get to talk to people one-on-one about their doubts because they won't come and talk to me. So I've just got to kind of scream it from a stage. But the reality is if you have doubts about the truth and the validity of the Christian life of the, of the Bible, that's not meant to do alone. That's not meant to do without running to the source rather than running away from it. This is what I love in Acts about the uh, description of the Berean Christians, Acts 17, 11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness. They heard the gospel, watch, and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. It's not just accepting what I say or anyone else from this stage, but saying, God, I want to know. And here's the beauty. You have a Bible. Whether it's a paper copy or one on your phone or your iPad or whatever, you have access to read and understand the word of God. And if you are struggling with doubt, there are people at High Desert Church, pastors, ministry leaders like myself who would love to sit down and listen, who would love not just to kind of bleh all over you with all these answers, but just listen to your story, listen to your doubts and share some of our own and keep leading ourselves, you and us, back to the word of God. We believe it is the truth. And so we go to the truth to find the answers. So in our message today, I'm just gonna shorten this part. We could go on, we do a whole series on doubt, and maybe one day we will, but I wanna tell you why I'm gonna shorten it. First, for this reason. We believe we have to talk about the importance of doubt because we've already said it is a powerful entity. It bolsters and grows faith or it can upend it and destroy it. So we don't wanna take it lightly. We don't wanna think it's no big deal. And we always wanna open the door to say, let's talk because we believe doubt has that kind of power. The other thing is we're devoting, if you look on the back of your uh, prayer card of the people you're praying for, and I hope you've added some names. I added some to mine this list this week that I'm praying for. If you notice on the back, <clears throat> the second bullet there, I'm sorry, the, the I'm sorry, where's it at? Very top, growth track, doubling down in doubt on February 19th. Pastor Brian's gonna spend an entire session, entire growth class talking about when the difficulties come and we wanna, we wanna kind of get lost in doubt, do we double down instead in faith? And what does that look like? He's gonna walk you through some powerful passages, have a time of Q&A. So please make a point, if that would be helpful to you or if that'd be helpful to anyone in your Oikos, please be there February the 19th. I believe it's gonna be at 3 p.m. You'll be glad that you did. Let's move on to number two in your notes. Two, Jesus searches for strays. Jesus searches 
for strays. It's very succinct, but man, it communicates everything. Luke chapter 15, I ask you to have your Bibles there. If you have them out, you can look, verse one. Now the tax collectors and the sinners, these are the people that are on the outs in society, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious elite, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I love this parable because it demonstrates the heart of the shepherd. It just demonstrates the truth. And Jesus says it in such a matter of fact way, it's actually gonna go on. He's gonna give two more parables, not just a lost sheep, but a lost coin and a lost son. The parable of the prodigal son is in this same sequence in Luke 15. But in our case, as we're looking at this kind of sheep shepherd motif, it demonstrates the heart of the shepherd who says, it's not okay when I have 100 sheep that I only come back with 99. I care and love all of them. And guess what? If there is a stray, most likely it didn't stray because it got lost. I know the text said the lost sheep, it's strayed because, huh, I'm gonna go over here. I know the rest of the flock's going that way. I wanna see this. So there's most likely an an element at least of rebellion, of doing my own thing. But the shepherd, you don't ever read in the text, the shepherd's just so frustrated. You read the shepherd is deeply in love and wants to go and rescue and is willing to leave the 99 in the open country to go and get the one. This should communicate two important things to us. Number one, it should not ever devalue the 99. They're his, he loves them, he cares for them. But there is an urgency for the one who is lost, the stray. So the other reality is, is that Jesus's commitment and care for us, here's the great news. Some of us would say, Todd, I haven't always been part of the 99. Realistically, none of us can say that. We've even sung about it today. Hell has lost another one. I'm free. So the reality is the great news is that you may be a part of this flock now, but when you were lost, Jesus went after you. And there is no lessening of love. Whether you're with the flock or you've strayed, the shepherd wants you back. This is great news because I believe in this whole process of thinking about straying from our faith Sometimes what gets communicated is almost what other maybe religions might do is to shun. You're dead to us. You broke faith. We don't want to see you again. That's a very real thing. Sometimes done to be done. Other times with the hope of restoring. I don't read that in my Bible. So what we talk about instead as we go, God, There are people in our lives. We've said all along, this series is not hypothetical. Your card will tell you so. 
This series is all about real people. People that you used to serve with in a local church, people that you used to be in a small group with, people that you see at family gatherings, your son, your daughter. These are real. And the reality is that that's who we're trying to attune our heart like. If our shepherd thinks and acts that way, then God help us as his followers to do the same. To have a heart of compassion, a heart of reconciliation with those who've strayed away. For me, as I look at my card, my card spans an era of 30 years. My card includes people I did ministry with overseas. My card includes a lot of students that were in my youth ministry. My card includes people that were involved in church ministry and leadership roles. They're all on my card. And none of them are walking with Jesus right now. Not hypotheticals very real. And here's the wild thing I was thinking about on the way over today. Again, I know every one of these. They're not fictitious names. And I guarantee you, they sat in auditoriums like these in worship services. And if you were to ask them, are you ever going to stray from your faith? I'm gonna guarantee you because of the level of knowledge, not just because I'm making this up, the level of knowledge I had in our seasons together in a local church, they would have absolutely looked at you in the face like you're crazy. But that's not how things have turned out right now. In an effort to practice what I preach, but I'm gonna say honestly, just because I knew this series was coming, I tried to get ahead of this and reach out to some of the people on that card. And I gotta tell you one that just was so powerful to me. I was so grateful for the interaction all via social media and DMing. But what was so powerful to me was the way that the last interaction finished. Thanks for reaching out. You're the only one who has. There's no patting on the back of me. It had been years since I'd interacted with that individual. It just shows we're not going after strays. And we should. The shepherd does. And what do we talk about at High Desert Church is this incredible reality that you've been supernaturally, strategically placed in an oikos, in a relational world. And people are all over a spiritual spectrum in that world. Some love Jesus deeply and they're walking with him. Others don't know him yet. And others know plenty well, but have walked away. So they're part of our worlds. They're on our cards and they're the people we're praying for in this series. And I wanna encourage you, don't be dissuaded. Don't be um, discouraged 
even if there are people you haven't talked to in years to begin praying for them. And I'm already anticipating the stories we're gonna hear of people that God just causes them to be on your mind, they are on yours, and he begins to connect some dots. I can't wait to see how he does that. So we wanna understand why, as it were, these sheep in our lives have strayed. That's gonna help us a little bit. And, and this series has taken all kinds of forms and shapes. Like I said, the teaching team's been talking for months. And when we were kind of getting to it, where we needed to figure out what's the structure, this could go all kinds of different directions. We finally landed on something, but from the most bizarre of ways. I was kind of at my wits end trying to figure out what structure do we give this series. I literally on my keyboard just Googled, why do sheep stray? Not even knowing what in the world would pop up. And as the engine drove, as something popped up, look up on the screen, this was the article it came to. What you need to know about sheep straying from the flock. And can I tell you, it's all about the woolly things that go bah. It's not metaphorically talking about Christians. It's talking about livestock. And I just chuckled to myself and thought, well, that's a very literal interpretation of what I just Googled. And I began to read through, and there are four basic reasons why woolly animals stray from the flock. They do it out of fear of predators. They do it out of curiosity of what lies beyond the pasture. They do it out of a hunger for better food. And they do it out of influence of other sheep that are going astray as well. And I gotta tell you, that list hit me like a ton of bricks. Because I realized how very similar the sheep of Jesus' flock are to the woolly creatures and why they stray. Look in your notes. Some of the more common reasons why people stray from their faith, fear. And I'm gonna say in our series, not of predators, but actually of the shepherd. In terms of not feeling protected or having been hurt by other sheep. Fear of being hurt again is a big common denominator. Secondly, curiosity. Curiosity of lifestyles and experiences that have been deemed sinful or taboo by followers of Jesus, but I want to go and see. Third, hunger. Hunger for different, often more inclusive truth than what they've been taught. There's gotta be more, I wanna go find it. And finally, four, influence. Influence of others who have strayed from their faith. And I gotta tell you, when I read that list and began thinking of the stories I'm personally aware of, it blew my mind. Those are four. They're not the only reasons, and it's often not one reason, but those are huge common denominators of why people who have been a part of the flock of God leave it. And I thought, man, God, that gives us handles. That gives us something to look at. Never to say that anyone fits a carbon copy, cookie cutter reason, but these are significant. They sure have been the conversations I've had. It's often one of these that is a catalyst that begins the headwaters of moving away to unbelief. 
One of the terms I need to make sure early on in this series that you hear, one of the terms that's become very significant in the last probably five years at least is the term deconstruction. Deconstruction and deconstruction, I'm gonna give you a definition in a minute, but just understand the idea that it's basically saying that I'm looking at things in my life, I'm in a place of maybe significant doubt, I'm beginning to get very curious about other things. I have friends that are going in a direction who were with Jesus and they're now not. I'm wondering, I've heard a lot of things my whole life. I'm not sure they're true. And and what begins to happen is to kind of take one's faith down to the studs, which I'm gonna say is not inherently a bad thing. But I remember a great conversation I had with my friend Tim who would talk about deconstruction positively. And I asked him this question. He said, Todd, for me, it was powerful. I'd grown up in a Christian home. I'd taken so much for granted. I had to get down to the foundation to build it back up. And I said, but Tim, let me ask you this. As you were deconstructing your faith, was the word of God authoritative on your journey or not? He said, it always was. That's the difference. That's the difference. There's a book that we're gonna recommend to you in this series, but listen to a quote from Elisa Childers. The book's called Another Gospel. Listen to how she defines it. Deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting beliefs you grew up with. Sometimes the Christian will deconstruct all the way to atheism. Some remain there, but others experience a reconstruction but the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew. And by the way, this author says that from experience, not a hypothetical. I've listened to her book, powerful. So the reality is this, is that as we examine faith, we always do it in the context of truth. And this is what was powerful. Remember my article I told you a minute ago, these woolly things, why they walk away from the, the flock and realize, oh my gosh, that's why people do in the, the church, the flock of God, that's why they leave too. Guess what it said at the very end? Here's two things, literally it says, here's two things you can do to keep sheep from straying. In your notes, build good fences to keep them from wandering and protect them from predators. Build good fences to keep them from wandering and protect them from predators. I couldn't believe how applicable that truth is to our series as well. And I wanna be careful, watch this. If you start hearing Todd talking about mending fences like we gotta build up the fence and now he's reading an article about really like real sheep that we need to build a fence, it could seem very controlling And I just wanna be careful to say, just so that if a mind is starting to wander to that road, man, so what they're telling me is, just think like we do. I'm gonna be real careful to say, that's not at all what I'm saying. But I am saying this, I know my heart. And of the people on my card, I knew them pretty well as well. And the reality is that our hearts can follow all kinds of things that are away from God's design. We need to constantly be reminding ourselves of the truth of God's word and who he is and what he has for us. It's not about control, but it is about truth. And that's what this series is about. We're gonna attempt each week to dive in and do things that do exactly those two things, to fortify your faith, faith, build good fences, and to identify predators that would wanna shipwreck your faith. 
two passages Paul wrote to his protege, Tim, uh, Timothy. This is the first one he said. This is what he said. This will keep you from shipwrecking. First Timothy 1.18, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to the faith and good conscience, which some have rejected, that being faith and good conscience, and have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. That's how we build better fences in our own hearts and our own souls. He also warned him to be cautious of voices that themselves have already wandered from their faith and would want to entice him to the same. 1 Timothy 6.20, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of, of what is falsely called knowledge. Look here, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. Paul says, be careful. Be on guard. And he was saying that, you guys, to a pastor. He's got to be saying that to all of us. This is something we don't just get casual and comfortable. We constantly, God, grow my faith. Now, we said it last week. I'm going to say it again today. As we're talking, you might go, Todd, you're not talking about them. If I'm honest, you're talking to me. I am struggling. I am in deep doubt. I am at the headwaters of unbelief. You talk about deconstructing. I've been doing that for a year. Well, let me say this. I have a resource for you that I think would be so helpful if you just take me up on this. This is a book. It's also in the back of your notes today. Before you lose your faith, deconstructing doubt in the church. This is put out by a group called the Gospel Coalition. It's an essay, it's a collage of essays, not just one author. I've read this and they do such a good job taking head on and I guarantee whatever the issue is you're facing or issues you're facing, you're gonna find at least a chapter in that book. And I don't wanna say, I'm glad you're here, here's a book. Can I just say, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here with God's people trying to process in community what do I do with this? And I want you to hear so clearly from me, you are welcome. Be here, be listening, be asking good questions, spend some time with some of our pastors, let us help. Finally today, number three, the Bible instructs us in how we should respond to those who stray. I'm gonna be real quick, I promise. The Bible instructs us into how we should respond to those who stray. Jude. It's only one chapter, Jude, verse 22. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. This is actually where this series started. I looked at the book of Jude and it's a quick read. You read the whole thing in five minutes. And I was interested in just really what it's doing is it's giving current day warnings to the early church, steer clear from false teachers. They are everywhere. Be careful. Jude chapter four says this, those who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immortality, sorry, I can't read, immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. So there, the whole book is steer clear from false teachers and be aware they're everywhere. And what it does, it goes through the history, literally of time, 
of those who have walked away or led other people away from God towards unbelief. It's a powerful five minute read. But as I read it through, I realized, man, this is laying a foundation for what we need to talk about that includes false teachers and those who'd influence us wrong, but it also needs to be a series that talks about, God, how do we reach out? And what's powerful is these two verses I read you from Jude lay that out. It gives us an understanding. Look at the different realities. And I think when we know that this book, this short book was written to be, to raise the concern of people who are falling to false teachers, then we could look at these three ideas. Maybe for those who are considering heresy, I'm listening to aberrant teaching. I'm listening to to pseudo-biblical ideas. That's where Jude says, reach out to them. Show compassion. Be merciful to those who doubt. They're in that place of beginning to reconsider. To another group who's already following those heretical leaders, they're already listening. They're already getting in line. Maybe that second phrase, save others by snatching them from the fire and they're gonna get burned. Reach out now. And thirdly, to those who are actually leading the charge, to those who are intentionally leading people to unbelief, show mercy mixed with fear. Like, man, there is judgment coming on you. I'm gonna be careful. In your notes, one of the most often asked questions about how to relate to those in our relational worlds who've wandered from their faith is on this topic. How should I treat them? To what degree should I associate with them? This is what I wanna leave you with today. All three of those groups, I have spent time with individuals who I would put in each of those camps, at least at the time I was interacting with them. Some who would look at me and go, Todd, I know the Bible says, but... To others, Todd, I'm going to this group. I'm going to this meeting. I'm a part of this thing. To others who would say, Todd, you've got it all wrong. It's all about this. And I've got a group that I could tell you more about. I've spent time with all people who would fit all three of those groups. And I can tell you, when Jude writes that, it is so real. It's varying ways that I'm gonna reach out. And I'll tell you that third group, I'd call it things like it gave me the EBGBs. I'd call it things like the hairs on the back of my neck went up. Can it just tell you? Is the Holy Spirit going, bro, be careful. There's some bad stuff going on here. And I wanna say to you, as you think about the people on your card, if you haven't already, would you please put names on this? Would you please start praying this week? Would you be a part of what God's doing at HDC in this brand new part of 2023? where we're people who are mending fences, reaching out relationally to those who strayed and mending the fences in our own souls so we don't. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for the truth of your word that you love strays. But I also know that you don't love them to stay lost. You wanna find them and bring them back. God, would you bolster and grow our faith? Would we be like the Father in this first passage today? I do believe, help my unbelief, Jesus. The thing we're staring at today, the thing we're struggling with, we don't even know what to do. God, help us be honest about it. 
and help us ask you for help. And would you send it through your word? Would you send it through your people? Would you send it in avenues we hadn't even guessed? Grow our faith and grow our reach for people that you put in our lives who've walked away from their faith. You may be here and I said earlier today, I'm not talking about them, we're talking to you. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to no longer keep running in the opposite direction from Jesus, but run towards him. Would you A, admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior? You've heard that before. Not sure if you really believed it the first time. Would you B, believe that this Jesus, this good shepherd, he did exactly what the Bible says and he did it for you. Went to a cross, died a substitutionary death in your place, was raised supernaturally on the third day. Maybe you didn't totally believe that the first time. Would you see choose? Choose to say, Jesus, I surrender. I have been running. I know what that life is. I wanna come back. And can I tell you, the moment you turned around, the prodigal son, the father went running to him. Choose to live your life in the flock, following the shepherd. And he will love you and care for you as his own. Father, do a work, do a work through our prayers this week as we're praying for those on our list who've strayed. Help us never think of ourselves better or in judgment over them. God, we're fellow sheep. Be at work in, in using your Holy Spirit in their lives and in ours. God, give us the opportunities to be reconcilers. We love you and we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.